Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. You know, if you've climbed a mountain, there's something about those experiences that want us to, that, that, that prompt something in us to share that experience. You've got to see this. You've got to see what I'm seeing. If you will follow in this path, if you will walk and trust and, and have faith and endure, you are going to be able to see what I'm seeing right now. And as we come to these prison letters, Paul is writing at the end of his life and the message that he is expressing, especially in the book of Ephesians, which is the first book that we're dealing with within these letters. In the book of Ephesians, he's basically saying, church, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. You've got to, I pray that God would open your eyes to be able to see what I see, to see yourself from God's perspective, to see your future in the light of the hope of Christ. Church, don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't feel like you're, you're lost. Just open your eyes and see what I can see. And so Paul is, is expressing this after encountering all of these things, he's, he can see further and with greater clarity than ever before. And so he says, church, you've got to see this. Don't waste your life pursuing temporal ends. Don't waste years of your life wrestling with fear and insecurity. If you could for a moment see yourself the way that God sees you, See the love of God for you. See his grace and encounter it in a real way. Fear and insecurity are things that would very quickly dissipate. It's like mist before the sun. But it's a mist that a lot of people live in. Even as believers, it's, we, we get lost in that fog of insecurity. If we could see ourselves in the light of Christ, and the earlier the better, we would just simply walk with more boldness. We would live completely different lives. I remember a, a pastor that um, was already a senior pastor at this point, had been in the ministry for, for decades. And somebody asked him if he, if he had anything he would do differently in his journey, if there was anything he would have changed. And he said, I would have just started earlier. If only I knew now, or then what I know now, I would just not have wasted so much time trying to prove myself, trying to, to figure out things, trying to wrestle with, with all these doubts and insecurities. I would have just trusted Jesus and taken steps of faith. If only I started earlier, I could have done so much more. And so when you see this, what Paul is saying, church, you've got to see this. You'll live a completely different life. Now, the Bible talks about more than one kind of sight, more than one kind of way to see. And there is a sight that doesn't arrive in natural light. You don't see it by the natural light of the sun, but by a supernatural light, by a light that is only put on by the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever walked into a dark room and it's amazing how it just feels like an abyss. There's, there's dangers. You, you move so slowly, you can hardly take steps because you don't know what's in that room. 
reminded me of a time that I accidentally lost, locked myself into a church building. The church had like a self-locking door. And so I accidentally locked myself into church after a Friday night youth meeting. And uh, I, was, I was there and it was pitch dark. I didn't know even where the lights for the kids section was. And I've locked myself in and my only recourse was to phone Will. Will has been bailing me out for a very long time. It's midnight. I message Will. Will, please be awake. I've locked myself into church. He's like, I'm in bed, but I'm coming. I'll, I'll come and unlock the church again. And during that time that I was waiting for Will, I got hungry. And so when you're hungry, you know, you, you start getting incredibly resourceful when you're hungry, right? And so everything else was locked up. There was no other place that I could go into, but down the long, dark corridor of where the kids' ministry was and into the pitch black, dark uh, kids' storeroom because I knew that in that storeroom, it housed sweets <laughs> and I was hungry. And so while waiting for Will, I made my way down the passage into the storeroom and I found the treasure of all treasures, those white Easter eggs that come around once every year, right? They're already in the stores right now. You can go have some today. But I found a box full of those by the grace of God in the darkness. And so I put one or two eggs in every pocket that I had to take some home as well. And so, um, and so when Will eventually unlocked the church, I walked out. And as he was driving away, I said, hey, Will. And I pulled an egg out of my pocket, and he just laughed. And I was like, hey, Will, wait, wait, wait. And I pulled another one, and then I had one in here as well. And so it was a great night. But the point is, when I got to the storeroom the next day, or when I got to church the next day, the kids' pastor was like, what happened in the storeroom? Because it's a mess. Because I was just scrounging around in the dark. And many times we just make a mess because we don't actually, we can't see. We, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what we're looking for. We don't even know what we're going to find while looking for it. And so many of us, so many people in this world live life in this way because we haven't trusted the Spirit of God to switch the lights on. Now, my prayer for you today is the same as Paul's prayer for all of us, that the lights will go on. Not a natural light, not a, not a house light, but the light of the Spirit, the light where God illuminates and enlightens our hearts to the reality of who we are in Christ. And so 14 verses into the book of Ephesians 1. If you have your Bibles, we're in Ephesians, we're in chapter 1. But 14 verses into the first chapter of Ephesians, like Paul can hardly even begin before getting to this section, he starts praying. You know, if you want the lights to go on for somebody spiritually, we can rationalize, we can talk, we can you know, we can do illustrations, we could put slides up on the screen, we can do all of that. But what it requires is the Holy Spirit to, to uh, produce an inner revelation or unveiling of the truth. And that is something every single one of us needs. And so before I get up to speak to you every Sunday morning, what I do is I pray for you. I actually pray, there's a prayer I've prayed for years, that God would cause every heart to be fertile soil so that when the word goes forth, those seeds would land in your heart and that they would take root and that those seeds would become established, that the truth of God's word would become the foundation of your life, that the roots would go down deep and that it would produce a harvest of righteousness. I've prayed that for years. 
because I can say human words and they might impact you for 10 minutes. But if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart this morning, your life will never be the same. For all of eternity, your foundations will be altered. And so there is power in the, in the Word of God as the Holy Spirit illuminates and enlightens the eyes of our hearts. And so Paul, understanding this, he's got so much that he wants to say to the church. But he says, but, okay, let me just pray for you. <laughs> like, you know, I've done that so many times as a pastor when I don't even have the answers anymore. The situation is so complicated or, or so grand, so big that I just go, let me just pray for you. Because I know that where our power ends, God's power is only just beginning. And so Paul does this. He prays for the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1 verse 15, it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is what he prays for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. That you get that understanding, that wisdom, that knowledge in Christ. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. You have physical eyes with which you see the physical things around you, but then your heart has eyes. The ability to perceive and to see. The eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. That you may know. Everybody say, that I may know. This is a personal thing. This is not a second-hand thing. This is not something I can have for you. You can see the difference between somebody who has heard the Word and somebody that has known the Word. Where something's taken root. Something's hit them in their spirit. Something, some truth has caused them to, to look different, to sound different, to live different. Because there's a shaping of the Spirit happening in the inside of them. That you may know what is the hope to which... He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. And He put all things under His feet. And gave him as the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is praying for the church. When we experience something incredible, we immediately have the desire to share it with others. For them to be able to see what we've seen. And so the gospel is something that Paul wants us all to experience on a, on a personal level. This is the reason they created Instagram. People, there was a time when people were having experiences that they would have to find another person physically and tell them about. Like phone them, I gotta tell you what I just experienced. Or write a letter like Paul did. Hey church, let me just tell you. Back then, Paul just would have Instagrammed it. Like this is what I just heard from the Spirit, guys. But it's because we have the desire to share what we've seen. And Paul wants the churches in Ephesus to know that they may be missing out if they don't see this incredible sight of the gospel. The Bible says that things that are seen are temporal. They're temporary. They don't last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, there's some things 
that you're not just going to figure out. There's some things that you're not going to be able to learn about in a self-help book or in, you know, a video tutorial or whatever else. There's just some things that you won't know unless God switches the lights on for you and shines the light of His Spirit into your heart. So Paul prays for the church and says that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and knowledge in the light, the revelation of Christ, who He is, so that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, the lights go on when you see Jesus. Not the historical Jesus, not just the Jesus that you heard about in Sunday school, not just, uh, you know, the Jesus as a historical figure, but when you really know the living God, when you begin to realize what it is that Jesus has done for you, what his sacrifice for you on the cross means, what it appropriates and imputes to our lives as a result. When you see Jesus, the lights go on. The Bible says that even those that are very religious, often living under the law, the law is like a veil that's covering their faces. They can't see. All they see is the law. All they see is religion. All they see is their own power, what they're supposed to do. They've turned this book from a life-giving book of the Spirit to a book of rules, and, and, and they, they don't know where they're going. But in 2 Corinthians, it tells us, in Christ, the veil is taken away. Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so God's Spirit is here to give you life, not rules, not good advice, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. John 1 verse 4 to 5. By the way, my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is hope and power. John 1 verse 4 to 5 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's something more powerful in what God will reveal to your heart than any form of darkness this world can produce. If you have financial lack right now, that might feel like darkness. That darkness hasn't even begun to comprehend the light of Christ. It cannot even comprehend it. If, you, if you've got physical sickness in your body, that darkness hasn't even begun to comprehend how powerful God's light is. If you've got the darkness of, of addiction and sin and mental struggles in your life right now, like many of us do, it isn't even comparable to the light that is the life of men. There's a greater light that the darkness cannot comprehend. It's a light that we walk in, that we live in. So it's when we see Jesus and hear his voice that those lights begin to go on, that the switch goes on. It's amazing how in a room you can see nothing and the light goes on and all of a sudden you can see everything. There's clarity. In Colossians 2 verse 3, it says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many journeys do people go on in this life looking for knowledge, looking for wisdom? How many sacrifices do they make at the altar of wisdom and knowledge, trying to figure out what it is they're supposed to be figuring out and never being able 
to quite arrive. Kind of resigning themselves to it's just a mystery. You know why they haven't found it? Because those treasures are hidden. Where are they hidden? In plain sight, in the person of Jesus. So do you need knowledge? Do you need wisdom? You haven't even begun to understand the world we live in if you haven't met Christ. You know nothing about the origin of life. You know nothing about meaning and purpose. You know nothing about identity. You know nothing about what it means to live a life that is rich and full and substantial. Until you have met the person of Jesus, you know a lot about nothing. You see, this gospel sounds foolish, but to those who believe it is the power of God unto salvation. God confounds the wise with the simple and the foolish things. They're hidden in Christ. If you want wisdom and knowledge, you will not even begin with step one until you know Jesus. It doesn't matter how big your company is. It doesn't matter how much money you've made in your life. It doesn't matter what stage you've performed on or, or what accolades you've racked up. None of that matters because you still won't ever know what it means to stand at the height of meaning, significance, and what it even means to be truly loved in this life. It's all hidden in Christ. You don't know anything until you know Jesus. Thinking themselves wise, Paul writes, they became fools. Paul, who wrote these letters, you might be thinking, well, you know, that's easy for Paul. He had a one-track mind. He was just a Christian. And so obviously he interprets everything in his Christian context. But you know, Paul wasn't always a Christian. In fact, he was incredibly learned. So, so much so that, that when he sometimes gave testimony, like when he stood before King Agrippa and before the, 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 the Roman governors and, and, and shared the gospel, they said to him, Paul, your much learning has made you mad. Like you've gone crazy from learning so much. He was intelligent. He was more astute than most when it comes to philosophy and theology and, 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 and the sciences and all of these things. Paul was incredibly intelligent. And he thought the message of Jesus was, was foolish, academically astute. But then he encounters Jesus. Then he encounters the Spirit of God on the road to Damascus. And he hears, he sees a light and he hears God speaking to him and he falls down on the ground and all of a sudden he realized that the only thing he had ever had up until that point was physical sight, not spiritual sight. And that physical sight almost revealing his spiritual blindness is taken away in a moment. And so he is led into the city of Damascus. And I love this. God calls a man by the name of Ananias. If you look up that word in the Greek, it means grace to go and lay his hands on Paul. And it says that Ananias went, the grace of God went, and it touched Paul. And as Paul had grace lay its hands on him, something like scales fell off of his eyes. See, this is what happens. No matter how much learning you've done, no matter how wise you think you are, it's when the grace of God touches your life that scales fall off. Now you're seeing with a different kind of sight. He got his physical sight back, but more than that, he began to see in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to reveal the depths of his grace to Paul. This is where the, the mystery of, of, of wisdom and knowledge and, 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 and salvation, it's all hidden in this thing. Has God's grace touched your life? Has God's grace touched your life?
When it does, everything begins to change. Matthew 16, 17, Jesus says to Peter, he calls him by his previous name, almost pointing to his origins as a mere human being. And he says to him, Jesus answered him saying, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon the son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's revelation. When God opens your heart to see something you would not have known before, it's revealed by the Spirit. And I think that we rely far too much on our earthly sight and far too little on the revelation of the Spirit of God in our lives. We walk by faith, not by sight. So there are some things, the truth of living and, and meaning and identity and purpose that you're not going to pick up anywhere else but from God's Spirit. And so Paul prays for the church, God, please let them see. At the end of the service today, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for myself. Because no matter how much I think I've seen, I realize I've really seen very little. I really know very little about the power and the, and the glory and the grace and the mystery of Christ. So I'm going to pray for us. But Paul starts by saying, please, God, please, God, open their eyes. Let them see. And there's two things that we find here in this prayer that I read to you now that essentially it comes down to two things that Paul wants the church to know. He wants them to know the hope to which they have been called and the power that is at work within them. Hope and power. The title of my message today. I'm going to start with hope. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. You have been called to hope, not to despair. I want to take one moment here. My... Uh, Lee, will you just bring up my phone for me? My notes have not transferred themselves. In fact, I was here last night at church. We were fixing some things and I had finished my message and then I dived right in again as God was speaking to me in that moment. And I added a whole bunch of stuff that it was just God speaking. So that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I heard somebody once define hell. And when we think of hell, we often think of the images of, of fire and the lake of burning sulfur and torment and, and, you know, that kind of eternal condemnation that we read about in the scriptures. And, and we often think that this is what is worst about hell. But I believe the worst thing about the idea of hell is not the flames or the fire or the torment but the condition of utter hopelessness. Can you imagine for a moment, you know, we go through difficult things in life. We've all suffered. We've all been through things. We've all been in difficult moments. But can you imagine for one second, if you went through that moment thinking to yourself, this is never, ever going to be able to be different. That there is no hope of improvement. You see, while we live in this world, no matter uh, what our, our, the state of our faith is, we still always have a glimmer of hope that this too shall pass or things will get better or there'll be some improvement. 
What makes hell, hell is that that's it. There is no second option, choice. There's no time will not heal the wounds down there. Things will not get better. There's no improvement in the situation. It doesn't reach an end point. It's eternal. Eternal hopelessness is what we face without Christ. And to me, I couldn't think. It's enough to drain every bit of strength out of my being as I stand in front of you today that there's no hope. The converse to that is, is that when you do have hope, even if it's a glimmer of hope, it starts putting the strength back. The iron gets put back into your bones. You start to rise up. You start to rise up from whatever you're under, whatever you're oppressed by, whatever is difficult in your life at this point, whatever you're going through, you start to be able to overcome as a result. You become an overcomer. And so hell is the experience of utter hopelessness. But what makes the spirit of a Christian so indomitable, the reason why we are always, even as peculiar, peculiar as we might seem, and, and even at times vulnerable and fragile, and, and you know, like, like you know, Jesus is often described as just a, you know, this gentle, meek, and mild shepherd looking after the little lambs. Christians are often seen as lambs that are purely being led to the slaughter. But what makes Christianity an indomitable force that cannot be overcome, no matter how many regimes, how many governments, how many dictators, how many... Uh, empires have tried to destroy the Christians. This group of misfits just keeps surviving and thriving. And in fact, when things get difficult, we progress like never before. It's purely based on the fact that we have the hope of Christ, that we have something in us. There's something that causes us to laugh at calamity to eat adversity for breakfast, to sing songs of praise through the toughest of moments. It's the fact that we don't just have hope, hope that things might get better, but we have a living hope, a living hope in the person of Jesus. That's what we have. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth. This is actually a hope that you were born into. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so our hope is not in circumstances improving, but in a person called Jesus. And there is no greater hope to be found Anywhere in the universe. You know why? Because number one, your hope is now in the pinnacle of all things. We read there, he is the fullness of all in all. He, every name and authority and everything is under his feet. He sits at the right hand of God and is the sovereign creator of all things. There's nothing greater to hope in. You cannot find a higher hope than hope in Jesus. So when you hope in Jesus... Number one, you're hoping in the highest of all hopes. But number two, that highest of all hopes has shown us by dying for us on the cross that not only is he the creator of heaven and earth, 
but he loves you. It's one thing to say, oh, I got to email. I got to send an email to the creator of heaven and earth. I hope he responds. I hope he's not too busy. How hopeful is it when you find out that that creator is completely, madly in love with you? How how much? Well, enough to die. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's how much. And so if God gave us Jesus, how much would he not also with him give us all things? So you don't have any reason to doubt the heart of God for your life. He has proven it. And so even when we experience sorrow in this life, because we do go through sorrow. 1 Thessalonians says it like this. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 to 14 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Christians that have died, so that you do not grieve as those who are without hope. You see, it's one thing to grieve when you have no hope. But when we grieve, when we sorrow, we sorrow with hope. We have hope in the midst of our sorrow. So our tough times just look a little different. We might be hard-pressed, but we cannot be destroyed because of the hope that's in us. I want you to know, some of you have been worrying about yourself, am I going to be lost? I want you to know today, you cannot be lost. You're in the hand of God, in His palm. You're the apple of His eye. And you have something in you that is greater than whatever is in this world. You cannot be destroyed. You cannot be lost. Martin Luther once said, everything that is done in this world is done by hope. Can you imagine if you did something and you didn't have some hope of an outcome? I mean, even when you walk to the fridge. (laughs) How many of you have opened the fridge, looked, closed, walked away? But hope remains. So you walk back to the same fridge, the fridge you were just at. You reopen this same fridge and there's still hope. That you will find something to fill the hunger. The only people who do things that are completely disconnected to hope are people that have lost their minds. It's insanity to act completely randomly. But anything that's done in this world is done in hope. And so what that tells us is not only does hope give you staying power, but hope gives you moving power. If you have hope, if you believed today that God has your future in his hands, what kind of risks would you begin to take? What kind of steps, what kind of journey, what kind of adventure would you begin to go on if you knew God is for me? I'm filled with hope. It would move you. It would move you to action, to pursue, to spend, to move, to risk. How much more should we as believers be living by hope as the driving force in our lives. Nelson Mandela once said, may your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears. And I feel that this is a prophetic word over some people's lives. I had this in my spirit the whole week. Make decisions about your future based on the faith that you have in God and the hope 
of a dream that's burning within you as opposed to trying to manage your fears. Make decisions based in faith, not fear. You've been called to hope. You've been born into a living hope, not despair, not fear. True hope comes from knowing what you have in Jesus. That's why it tells us there, it goes on to say, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? It's something you're born into. This is an inheritance, not just God's promises for this life, but also for the life that is to come. You know, when I broke my my wrist twice and got screws put into this wrist, even as, you know, 19, 20-year-old, having screws in this wrist and feeling the weakness of it, I thought to myself, it's okay. Because one day I'll have a glorious, glorified body from Christ. The screws will be gone. The wrist will be strong. It's only in this life I have to suffer this, this injury. We have a great hope, church. Don't put all your hope in this life. God, help the church to know what they have in Jesus. Help them to know the new birth that they have into this living hope. Help them to know that they're not only saved, but that they are being saved. I love this definition by Bob Goff, one of my favorite authors who who once wrote, hope isn't all the things we're wishing for. It's all the things God is turning us into. You know, some of you, your greatest discouragement and despair in life is born out of your consistent failures. The areas that you fail in again and again and again. That once that leads you to a place where you want to give up hope. Because you're like, why do I keep struggling with the same things? In that context, the greatest hope is how effective God's grace is in changing us. I want you to know that you're not going to leave here today the same way. The Bible says that we sow the seeds of faith in like the farmer who sows the seeds and we go to sleep. And in the morning, there's a harvest. We don't know where that harvest came from, but the earth produces its crops. You put your faith in Jesus and if you go to sleep, you just rest in that faith. What happens, it's like the little bit of yeast that's hidden in a quart of dough and works its way through until the whole thing begins to rise. Your life is changing. You are being transformed. All you need to do is behold Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. You will be transformed. The second thing is power. That they may know the hope to which they've been called, but God, that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might which He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. How often do we equate God's power with human power? How dare we measure the power of God with the ruler of man? How can we, can you think about how it would be like taking a 30 centimeter school ruler to the universe? I'm just going to quickly measure this. And even that analogy falls flat because this is the God who spoke that universe into being. 
our measuring system is way off. And the reason why we struggle with it is because we don't even have the capacity. It talks about, when it talks about God's power, it talks about the immeasurable greatness of His power. It's not even something that we have a human context or analogy for. But yet we measure or relegate God in our minds to kind of like somebody who has slightly more power than maybe a head of state. Slightly more power, like you have a president or a, you know, a, a prime minister, and then just above that, just like, oh, there's God. Slightly more power than a medical doctor. Like God or the medical doctor, yeah, they're kind of, almost, maybe God's a little bit more every now and again. Anything with slightly or marginally elevated powers, we say, oh, that's kind of where we can put God. But this is the God who opened his mouth and spoke the infinite universe into being. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Everything that you see today, everything that was created, was created by the breath of God. Now your breath might cause some things to die. But God's breath creates life. And God breathed that breath, that Ruach spirit. It says God breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a living being. You're not just a physical body. You're not just living an organic life. You're not just biologically alive. You're alive with the spirit of God, the same spirit that created the heavens and the earth. God breathed into you. Pentecost was the time that the Spirit of God came to meet the church so that the church and God's people would be filled with His Spirit. This changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see ourselves. I promise you, you will walk into a meeting differently when you know that you're filled with the Spirit. You will parent differently. Your marriage will look different when you believe in the power of God that is at work within you. I remember going on holiday as a kid to a place that was really dark and seeing the stars. And the stars would rise up from the ocean almost all the way across, seeing the Milky Way and all of its glory. And I remember rubbing my eyes because I felt frustrated that I couldn't take it in. It doesn't, it's so grand that I felt I couldn't comprehend it, where I literally felt like I had an itch in my chest, like, just see it. God's power is like that. The heavens declare His glory. It's more than we can comprehend. And so the Scriptures try to, to give us pictures, because it's safe to say that all of us have underestimated the power of God. And so the Scriptures try to help us get a better sense and uses earthly flawed analogies because they can't produce the whole picture, but, but it might help us feel some of it. Job's 26 verse 9 to 14, we read something like this. It says, he covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters and a boundary between, as the boundary, at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. 
By his winds, the heavens were made fair. His hands pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Whatever you think you know about the power of God, oh, you haven't even heard a whisper. Imagine the full thunder of his power. I remember having a braai at my house with Will and Nungi. And I remember we were standing outside braaiing. And while we were standing there, there was a, one of the buildings next door to us. It was a double story and had the, the point of that you could see from my yard. And while we were standing there braaiing, the lightning, there was a storm brewing like it normally is in summer here in Joburg. And the lightning hit the corner of that roof, right by us, sent shards of brick flying into my yard. We, we were, it was like, we thought Jesus was maybe returning. It was like, Jesus? I don't know if you've ever stood that close to a bolt of lightning. The Bible says he gathers the lightning in his hands. And commands it to strike the mark. That's what he holds in his hands. Church, that's nothing. If you've stood close to a lightning bolt, it's not even a whisper of his ways. You're still dealing with the outskirts of his power. And we've got to enlarge our faith. We've got to enlarge our faith in what God can do. Paul is praying. Lord, let them know. And you might be here today and you might be like the man who wanted to believe that God could heal his son, but struggled. And so in desperation, he said, Lord, help my unbelief. I think we could all pray that prayer today. Lord, help my unbelief. That I would know what is the hope to which I have been called. What are the glorious riches of the inheritance that I have in Jesus? And what is the power of God that works so effectively towards those who believe? Help our unbelief, Lord. And I know that this is important because there are some of you here sitting thinking, I've tried for years and I cannot change. I can't change the way I think. I can't change the way my emotions lead me. I can't change the, the doubt that I deal with. I can't change this addiction, maybe even these neural pathways that, have, that, that are delivering dopamine to my brain that have caused me to be addicted to whatever. I can't change. I had an old man once tell me, young people can change. At my age, you no longer change. Clearly unaware clearly in need of this prayer. God, let them know the power. So you might be saying, you don't know me, I can't change. But the Bible says that that same power that God works in us is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The very same power. The same spirit that raised him gives life to our mortal bodies also. If it could raise Jesus, it could save you. It can deliver you. It can heal you. 
It can transform you. Stop confusing what you can do with what God can do. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, says God, is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You don't have to hide your weakness, church. You can boast about it. Hey, everybody, I'm weak. Because when I'm weak, guess what? Oh, man, Christ is strong. Christ is strong. Where are you weak today? Where are you weak? See what Christ's power can do at that point, in that space. We don't have to find strength in ourselves. We just find it in Christ. Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Oh man, I, I hope you're getting excited this morning. Let's dream bigger. Let's hope bigger. Seated, Jesus, at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. He is the greatest authority in existence. Jesus sits above all things and is the fullness of all things. And there is nothing that can stop His power. Can you receive this for your own life today? We so desperately need it. We need to know hope. We need the power of God. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray over you the prayer of Ephesians 1. Won't you stand with me for a moment? I, we're not going to close the service just yet. We're just going to take a moment here. I want to pray the prayer of Ephesians 1 over your life right now. I'm going to pray for the eyes of your heart that may be dim, that may be slightly closed or completely closed, where you have not yet come to believe in the hope to which you've been called. What is the glorious inheritance that you have in Jesus? And what is the power of God that is at work within you? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to ask you to do this. Because we are surrendering our weakness and receiving His power. I want you just to raise your hands right now. Raise your hands. I'm trusting the, the Lord for a, for a supernatural Revelation in every heart right now. Lord, I pray that the God, the Father of glory, the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ will give each and every person here today the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him that we may have the eyes of our hearts enlightened and know the hope deeply and intimately, the hope to which we have been called. Lord, that we would know what are the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints. 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power, Lord, that works towards us who believe? According to the same working of your great might that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. And put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is us, your body, Lord, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Lord, help our unbelief and cause the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. Let us see, Lord. Let us see, let us believe, let us trust. We know that the best is yet to come. We trust in you this morning in Jesus' name.